This significant surge coming after President Biden ended Donald Trump's so-called remain in Mexico policy, requiring asylum seekers to wait there for their court proceedings. Since then, many of those tent cities along the Mexican border have emptied out as people start streaming in. We were there when a bus of 56 asylum seekers arrived at Casa Alitas, a Catholic charity shelter in Tucson. Men, pregnant women and children stepping off the bus with only what they could carry. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing I think was Joe Biden. I we walked into Juarez, Mexico, a city racked with violence to find Ophelia and her 10-year-old son, now headed back to Guatemala after being sent back to Mexico. The reason she risked everything? Biden promised that we can cross with, with minors. She said she heard that because of President Biden, she would be welcome. Vaccine was given where their expectations set with the Mexicans that they helped deal with the situation on the border. The, we, there have been there have there have been expectations set outside of uh, unrelated to uh, any vaccine doses or requests for them that they would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border, uh, and there have been uh, requests unrelated that uh, uh, they for doses of these vaccines. Um, Every relationship has multiple layers of conversations that are happening at the same time. Sheriff Wayne Ivey from Brevard County in Florida. Sheriff, how does this affect you? I mean, let's let them wrestle with what's going on with border the border states. But what about Florida? Yeah, well, the first thing is everybody needs to accept that this is a crisis. Quite frankly, if it's not a crisis, why did we send FEMA? Because we only send them out to disasters. So um, this is a crisis and it has the ability to filter into every community um, in fact, it does filter into every community. It's impacting us with um, uh, detainers being taken off of violent criminals. It's impacting us with our abilities to uh, uh, fight COVID-19. It's impacting us with massive shipments of drugs coming into our country, human trafficking of children. The, the list goes on and on. So it's impacting everybody in this country. Porters be allowed to tour facilities holding children who cross the southern border. Well, first, um, we are working to finalize uh, details, and I hope to have an update in the coming days. Uh, we are working through with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and also the Department of Homeland Security to ensure uh, privacy and ensure we're following COVID protocols. We remain committed to transparency. And of course, as I noted last week, we certainly want to make sure that uh, the media has access uh, to uh, these uh, sites. Now that the public is seeing some of the images because the congressional delegation provided some photos and descriptions about what they witnessed, is that not a crisis? Well, children uh, presenting at our border who are fleeing violence, who are fleeing prosecution, who are fleeing terrible situations is not a crisis. Uh, we feel that uh, it is our responsibility to humanely approach 
this circumstance and make sure they are treated with uh, treated and put in conditions that are safe. Hello, on a Wednesday. This is weird, right? Um, I know I don't normally do a Monday and a Wednesday episode, but uh, today I actually don't have anything super pertinent to talk about, which I actually thought might be a little bit of a relief, (laughs) so I won't feel like I have to talk as quickly, and I won't have to cram so much into 30 minutes slash an hour. So uh, today, yeah, well, I'll get you out of here quick today. The main thing I want to talk about is, of course, like you see in the title of the episode, Biden is going to give his first press conference, which, if you don't know, uh, pretty much every president before Biden has done this way earlier. Uh, that can be indicative of a, lot of, of a lot of different things. I'll let you hypothesize, and then I will hypothesize later. <laughs> uh, but for just getting into it today, um, White House press Secretary Jen Psaki, this is quoting a CBS News article, uh, Jen Psaki, Saki, I know, I know, I'm not stupid, I know it's Saki, but just, anyways, <laughs> Jen Saki said Tuesday, quote, that Mr. Biden is thinking about what he wants to say, what he wants to convey, where he can provide updates, and looking forward to the opportunity to engage with a free press. Uh, I hope he is prepared. I hope I hope the press is prepared to be tough on him. Uh, I think he does need to be smacked around a little bit, uh, obviously, figuratively speaking. I think that he needs to be held to task. Uh, the good things he's done, the bad things, however you feel about it, I think we need to hear it from him. We've heard plenty from everybody except for him. And what we have heard and seen from him has been a little bit concerning. So it would be nice to see him come out and be strong on what his plans are. Uh, and it would be it would be nice for him to take plenty of questions from the press. Of course, plenty of softballs are going to come his way. I hope he asks... Uh, oh, crap. What's his name? I'm sorry. I always forget his name, and it's super memorable. Uh, but Fox News correspondent, who's always there, asking the tough questions. And I hope that he fields all of them. Um, considering Fox is really the only network that has a correspondent at the White House, and I'm sorry, I can't remember your name right now. Uh, Considering he's really the only one who's been really tough, I would say that he definitely deserves um, to ask a question. If he does not, then I think that's very indicative of the fact that Biden doesn't want to be put under pressure. He doesn't want to be put under the, uh, the microscope. He doesn't want any light shed on the fact that he is borderline incapable of doing the job that we have elected him to do. I honestly hope that he proves me wrong, though. Uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. I do want to talk about that opening audio. Uh, I tried to piece it together in chronological order, being the fact that at first it was uh, there's no crisis, and then it was she misspoke, obviously, said there was a crisis, and then nope, no crisis, <laughs> which is hilarious to watch or listen to. Um, at this point, Biden, Pisaki, the entire Democrat party, the left, everybody, they're all making just freaking profits out of conservatives. We feel like Nostradamus over here because we called it yet again. Uh, we called that he was unfit for office. It hasn't been proven obviously, but 
pretty much everybody, even the, the leftist papers that are trying to prop him up as if he's not losing his mind, the language that they're using in those articles, if you read through them, I mean, they're on constant defense mode. Not for themselves, for for Joe Biden, um, which is definitely not their role. It's not Fox News' role to be a, a shill for Trump, and it's not CNN's or MSNBC's job to be a shill for Biden. Their job is to report the news. Their job is to ask the tough questions. And unfortunately, through eight years of Obama and now starting the first four years of Joe Biden, we're seeing softball questions, except for the border. And that's why this is such a huge issue. The The border, whether you want to call it a crisis or a situation or an, an ongoing problem or symptoms of a, a failed past administration, as they like to say, whatever you want to call it, there is an issue. There is a problem at the border. And seemingly overnight, starting with Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th and then his sweeping executive orders to undo all the work that Donald Trump did uh, at the border, I mean, you heard it from from one of the immigrants himself. They're here because Joe Biden sent them an invitation, essentially. Obviously not literally, but he got in front of cameras and talked about how racist and anti-immigrant and uh, fascistic Donald Trump was in his language and his treatment of our border, the closing of the border, the uh, remain in Mexico policies. Just communicating that message for the world to hear basically said, hey, come on over. You know, we called a long time ago that this is exactly how he was going to rule, essentially. But this was a type of president that he will be. And we called long ago that the effects would be more migrant caravans that suddenly disappeared in 2016, 17, 18, 19. And then, bam. Here they are all over again. There were these pop-up towns along the border on the Mexico side that, as you heard in that audio, are essentially emptied out. All those people were literally waiting for four years for a Democrat to get into office. Somehow they had Biden-Harris t-shirts. I don't know where those came from or who paid for them. And now they're... You know, I don't think they're doing anything crazy. I think they're just doing exactly what they expected Joe Biden to assist them with doing, which is to become American citizens, to come here, seek asylum, and and get citizenship because of their plight. Which, uh, I'm deviating from my notes. This might be a long episode. I had a conversation with somebody uh, yesterday, actually, about the issues on the border. I was, uh, I had made a post about how this uh, Project Veritas, if you're not following them, you need to follow them on uh, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're, you're getting your, your news and your social media and your memes, of course. Uh, but Project Veritas, doing some of the only investigative reporting journalism that we're seeing out there. Uh, thank God for ABC. I'll get to that in a second. But I posted, you know, how there's these photos that came out of Project Veritas, which you haven't, if you haven't seen that story, uh, they got photos from inside of these, I don't know what you want to call them, the migrant facilities, and they're all bundled up together. They're in, in space blankets or whatever, and they're essentially cuddling. It's a, it's a giant spoon session going on. 
And you know, here I here I was thinking, COVID, man, is is as much of a deal the left is making about COVID. It must be at least somewhat of an issue, right? Obviously, people are dying. Obviously, we don't want to exacerbate the problem and take it back to 2020 levels. We're coming out of this virus. We're, we're, we're getting better. The death rates are going down. The recovery rates are going up. Vaccination rates are going up. People are accepting the vaccine in greater numbers as we're seeing others take the vaccine. I mean, I'm one of those. I'm still waiting. My wife got the shot and I said, man, I'm the control group. You are the experimental group. You are the one who got the shot and we will see what happens. I'm just kidding. That's, that was not intentional. She got it because she's a teacher and I haven't had access to it yet. But I'm watching how other people, I mean, how the country in general is handling the vaccine. There haven't been any issues yet. There's a lot of sore arms. Um, but other than that, it seems like it's been fine. So once it's available, I will be looking for the vaccine. But that's all good. That's That's great. But you would think that if people really believed that COVID was as bad as it was, and that it has the potential to get bad again, that we wouldn't bring people from a country, being Mexico and largely South America, where COVID protocols and, and, and quarantines and things like that didn't happen. The, they, they did not address COVID really down there. The reporting is inconsistent, inaccurate, much like what we saw out of China. And if you're not testing your people for the virus, well, your your positivity rates are going to be super low, right? But what we're finding from these immigrants as they're coming across our border in droves, that they are infected. They get a 23, 23% infection rate. So almost one out of four people has the virus. Now, when you're spooning each other, and it doesn't make a difference, science hasn't shown whether it's more beneficial to be the small or the big spoon. In any case, you are at risk of contracting the virus. And then what are we doing? We are taking these people who potentially infected, possibly, probably infected, or at least have been exposed to the virus, and they're going to reinstitute catch and release. And we're going to set them up in hotels. That's not going to be cheap, right? So we got these conflicting actions to um, reported concerns as, as far as the virus goes. So some inconsistencies there. We'll, we'll phrase it that way. But again, conservatives, Republicans, whatever you want to refer to the right as, to whatever degree they are on the right, Nostradamus over here. We called it. I mean, just to a T. None, none of this is a surprise to anybody on the right who's been paying attention. It was all predicted. We all knew. We called the nursing home scandal in New York with Governor Cuomo a long-ass time ago. We called that they were going to come up with some other scandal to, to come cover it up, which is this the sexual, sexual uh, misconduct allegations. Cuomo is saying, basically, uh, you're all going to forget about it eventually, so I'm not going to resign. And then that'll be the end of it. We called the COVID death scandal in Michigan with Governor Whitmore. We called that there's going to be a progressive, strong leftist vice president under Biden, a.k.a. Trojan Horse, a.k.a. Kamala Harris. We called 
the border big time. And the message changed. We, 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 it's not like we're intelligent or even any more intelligent than your average American. It doesn't, it's not very hard to predict the results of this change in message. Much like, like it's not unpredictable that if you're a diamond shop and you advertise that your security alarm either doesn't work or you took it down because it's racist. And, you know, by the way, the door is unlocked because, you know, somebody might just need some shelter. And we're not going to lock up those diamonds because, I mean, you know, who's to say they're our diamonds? What, just because we were born here, because we own this this shop, that it's suddenly ours? No, no, that's, that's everybody. We're citizens of the world. So it wouldn't be very unpredictable, or wouldn't it be an astounding prediction to say that, yeah, your diamond store is going to get robbed. <laughs> and that's what we're doing with our entire country. We had four years of don't come here, stay in your country, apply for citizenship, apply for immigration status, apply for, um, oh, what's the term? Asylum. If you're fleeing a violent country, which Mexico obviously has an extremely corrupt government and probably even more corrupt police system. So I get it. You know, I, and I brought up a second ago that I had that conversation because of the Project Veritas, and I was saying that nobody's talking about that, and somebody messaged me saying, no, sorry, saw it on ABC, and that's great. Great for ABC. Obviously, that video I played at the start of the show, uh, or audio that I played of the immigrant saying he's here because of Biden, that was from ABC. That is good reporting. Somebody had the ability to say, we, can't, we should not report this, but they decided to go with it, and, and props to them. That's amazing. I don't know where I was going on that, but basically the messaging changed from don't come here illegally to don't come here illegally, wink, wink. But if you do, we'll set you up in a hotel, give you turndown service, uh, ice machines down the hall to the right. So that's what we're dealing with. And and, and I say all that to say that Biden's going to have to answer for that. When one president is office and the border is secure, and then two months into the presidency of the next president, the border is not secure, and you've had a complete 180 on policy. That says something. Whether you want to call it a crisis or not, President Biden, there's there's a problem. And you are largely the cause of it. So that's all I'll say about that. The last thing I want to talk about, and this is just some thoughts I had in preparing for watching his first... Um, press conference. But anyways, I titled this monologue, Biden is a happy tissue. <laughs> Very poetic. Um, I, I've often described our relationship with government, and, and I'm not the first to, to do this, obviously. Um, but our relationship with our government is kind of like a, 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 we almost have like battered wife syndrome. You know, we accept these abuses from our government, from our politicians who we elected, who we chose to send to Washington, D.C. And they just keep smacking us around and smacking us around. They say, oh, no, it's the last time. I promise I won't do that ever again. Smack! And so we're left over here like, why do I keep getting smacked around? That's, well, it's because we keep electing abusive politicians. And I'm of the opinion, and this might change, but just 
as of when I was typing this out, <laughs> I'll phrase it that way, I'm of the opinion that it should be in reverse. If anybody should feel like they might get smacked upside the head, it should be our politicians. Figuratively speaking, I'm not saying go to Washington, D.C. and slap a politician. If you do, though, there better be video. So what I'm saying is if we are the ones who are in control, this isn't an emotional relationship, this isn't an intimate relationship, this is a very specific contractual, almost like a business relationship that we have with our government, we should be the ones who've got our hand raised, like, you better stay in line. And as soon as they step out of line, smack. Because they're they're there to do our bidding. And yet they seem to be doing everything but what we want them to do. And I think if you look at just who the different political sides of our country puts into office, it says, not, and I don't mean just policy. In fact, completely separate from policy, I mean just personality. The conservatives, especially the, the Trump conservative, would rather think of the president as somewhat of like a CEO, running the government like a business. And, and, and what that means, when you, you start looking at a physically responsible, not physically, fiscally responsible government, which, of course, we have not had in an extremely long time, even under Trump, almost especially under Trump, namely because of COVID. But spending was out of control long before and during Donald Trump's presidency before COVID. But when you start talking about balanced budgets and reduced taxa- taxation, reduced regulation. What that means is I want, you know, the government giving a tax break, giving money to corporations, giving money to wealthy Americans, that is not giving money to people. When you cut taxes, you're not saying, here's some extra money. You're saying, I'm going to take less of your money. And what that does, and this really illustrates the ideological differences between right and left, when you free up cash by reducing taxation, you are trusting that the American people will be good stewards of that money, that excess. So if you believe the American people believe that we should be funding Planned Parenthood, or you believe that we should be fighting climate change, or investing in solar technology, or you know, helping out the plight of South Americans and Central Americans, whatever it is, if you believe that people actually want to do those things, why not stop taxing the hell out of people and let them do that willingly? Because you know the left thinks very little of other people and that they don't trust us to do good things with our own money. In order to support their causes and to to be... Uh, to support activists in whatever agenda they have, they have to, to, to force charitable giving to their causes, and they do it at the end of a barrel, that gun barrel being the IRS. So I say, let's, you know, let's say I'm running for political office or the first Hispanic president, I say flat tax of 10%. Flat tax. Everybody, 10% across the board. And make the rest optional. Just have a little card that people can mail in. I'm going to check here. Planned Parenthood. 5%. Bam. Check here. Um, benefits to illegal immigrants. 5%. 
save the whales 5%. And let's make it all optional. Let's see how giving the left really is when, when they have the option with the, the, with the, the swipe, the, the mark of a pencil. They can either pay more to these just amazing causes or not. I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of people that are only taxed 10%. Anyways, the right put in a strong man. Donald Trump is a strong man. He, he muscled his way through a lot of things, just pure grit, perseverance, did what, it, what, did what he said he was going to do. So I respect that. Thank God <laughs> he was good because uh, that could have gone very badly. And honestly, I don't think it should be repeated. I don't want to give any more confidence to the strong men out there. I'd rather get somebody in there. Well, I'll talk about that in a second. Now, I'll say it. I'd rather get somebody in there like uh, Ron DeSantis. I, I love Ron DeSantis out of Florida. He handled COVID very well in Florida. He is handling the freedom versus regulation um, ratio, that, that never-ending balance. Um, he's handling it very well. His approval ratings show it. But the left doesn't go strong, man. At least not intentionally. They listen to a lot of words and they see a lot of, we can do this together. And they, they fall for it every time. The left essentially put in what I would describe as a wet napkin or a, a happy tissue. I think that you put someone into presidential office that you somewhat reflect with, right? You know, there was the, I, I could have a beer, sit down and have a beer with Obama. I could, you know, see myself sitting down to a well-done steak and a Diet Coke with Donald Trump. So the left goes happy tissue. The right goes strong. But happy tissue, I mean, that's it's really, it's kind of a metaphor for so many people in the world right now. You know, just this inanimate object floating aimlessly down the streets. No real purpose, no real goals, no real hope for a better tomorrow, no ambition, just kind of eh, do whatever it is I'm supposed to do today and then this weekend I probably won't do shit. <laughs> of course, that describes my life many times as well. Unfortunately, though, one of those happy tissues landed in D.C. a long time ago and it's been sitting there collecting dust and frankly a shit ton of money for about 50 years now. But now the, the left, dusting him off, going to slick his hair back, and they're going to try to make this dusty used napkin into presidential material. Guess what? It's not going to happen. You voted for who you thought would be a strong man to counter Donald Trump's strong man, and it's not going to happen. He's a puppet. He's a, he's a puppet on strings. Unions and the big donors, they're all pulling the strings. The progressives and the strong left they're the ones pulling the strings of Joe Biden because they're telling him, listen, this is what the people want. This is what it's going to take to be unified. And Joe Biden just, oh, okay, okay, up slip. I've been going through all this, looking at just the, the, the sharp character contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And then aside from that, just, you know, being interested in small business and things like that, I've been really looking into the habits of CEOs and people that are in you know high pressure positions where they've got to be on all day long. They got to be focused and 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 able to handle whatever comes their way. That's not something the average American, average human can do. So I like seeing those consistencies, but also the differences, uh, because the differences I, I I cherry pick the differences where you know 
nine out of 10 CEOs gets up by 4 a.m., but then I, I find that one who sleeps until like eight or nine. Oh, that's the character trait I'm going to pick up on. But then that guy stays up till like two in the morning. So then I'll cherry pick the other guy who uh, finishes up at about 7.30. Sweet, that's me. Um, kind of kidding there, but it makes me feel a little bit better about my schedule, uh, which is usually just waking up too late, going to bed too late, and then eating way too much the entire day. But if you look at Biden's schedule, I pulled three articles highlighting three presidential schedules, Biden, Trump, and Obama. And honestly, I reflect mostly with Obama. But if you look at Biden's schedule, and I'm going to have these these stories linked in the show notes, um, Biden's schedule is a pretty relaxed schedule. Um, one month into presidential office, he doesn't wake up super early, doesn't wake up super late. Um, I think he, they said that he's usually back to the White House by 7 p.m. and winding down, and he's usually, uh, what does it say, back in the Oval Office for meetings and phone calls by 9 a.m. So I would say that an average working man's day, definitely not somebody who um, should be in power, honestly, just my opinion. Uh, I mean, how much can you honestly say that he gets done in just the average workday? If you look at the CEOs of any successful business, they're working more than just the average workday. Um, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. But then contrast that to the Donald Trump schedule. The Donald Trump schedule, and, and I love reading these articles because you can see how they're desperately trying to make it look like Donald Trump. I mean, even this is from Business Insider. And they've got Donald Trump signing a piece of paper, but they found the little millisecond of that video clip where he looks like he is about to fall asleep. And it, it's outrageous. If you ask anybody who's in the, the Trump administration, the dude never stopped. And, that, and the article does somewhat get into that. You know, he, he uh, says he only sleeps three to four hours um, because he says, uh, I think he said something like, you know, if somebody's sleeping 12 to 14 hours, um, they're not getting a whole lot done. What was it? Oh, he describes it as a success tactic. Quote, how does somebody that's sleeping 12 and 14 hours a day compete with someone that's sleeping three or four? And I think, honestly, I think that that's more not him bragging. It sounds to me like him saying, look, I don't think Putin is sleeping 12 hours a day. I don't think Kim Jong-un is sleeping 12 hours a day. I think these people are probably passionate about world domination. So maybe I should be a little bit equally passionate about just running our country. But anyways. I took the most out of the Obama schedule, which he described himself as a night owl, which I totally reflect with. Um, this was an article from Balance the Grind, uh, where I think they interviewed him or they took some ex excerpts from his book. But Obama, uh, his typical workday with a later night is how I would describe it, which is kind of how I live. You know, I have a very typical workday for my nine to five, and then I stay up late working on other stuff, which is fun. Because in the same way as Obama describes it, nobody's around. I could literally just, I don't know, do whatever I want to do. And nobody's going to interrupt me because most people are asleep and that's cool to me. Um, but I, And I've also heard that Obama was a workhorse, which is cool. Uh, he had a wake-up time of around 7 a.m. He never missed his morning workouts. And he usually got about five to seven hours of sleep, which, you know, he's going to bed around 12, 1 in the morning, which I think is pretty typical of somebody who is... A thinker. 
Obama was a thinker. He was a reader. He was always taking notes. And I, I would imagine Donald Trump is the same. I mean, you, you if the, the typical CEO, that's about it right there. You know, even their downtime is reading, taking notes, and thinking about what the next day is going to bring. So, honestly, between the three of them, I'd say Obama's schedule was probably the most, um, oh, what's the word, sustainable. But at the same time, Obama looked like crap when he got out of office. He looked like the freaking Crip Creeper. Biden already looks like the Crip Creeper. Looked like the Crip Creeper's dad. Crypt Keeper. Although Crypt Creeper also works. Donald Trump looks exactly the same as when he went into office. Donald Trump's looked the same for like 30 years now. Um, which I find hilarious. But ultimately, what the point that I'm making here is that these different personality types, not necessarily good or bad, but it is indicative of a lifestyle, of a philosophy. And I see high energy from Trump, and I see high energy from Obama, always on, always engaged. I see low, low energy from Biden. And I'm not saying that I don't want Biden to be president because, God, I'm terrified of the day that they say he's no longer able to carry out his duties. All hail Kamala. That scares the crap out of me, to be honest. I'm already terrified that she is communicating with foreign dignitaries while he is not as much. So where we go from here? All this I say to bring up the point. It is very important. Well, it's very, um, very important to, to recognize the fact that Biden still hasn't given a press conference, which makes his first press conference, which, by the way, is tomorrow, March 25th at 1.15 Eastern. So I'm sure he'll roll in at a cool uh, 1.30, which will be, what, 12.30 my time. So I, would, I, I think that it's important to watch with a critical eye. I don't think that it is anti or pro Joe Biden to be critical. You know, there's constructive criticism. And I think he needs a little bit of constructive criticism, little, little, little kick in the ass. Like, hey, hey, wake up. <laughs> you know, he looks like he's about to fall asleep every time he's at the podium. Uh, so it's important. Uh, look, look for his energy levels, look for how he handles any sort of a tough question. And um, man, pray for strength for him because we're, we're not looking too good. Much like under Obama, Russia didn't take us very seriously. Um, they didn't take Obama very seriously. Nobody did, really. Um, and, and it doesn't look like they're taking Joe Biden very seriously. We saw uh, Putin come out and say that, you know, I'll do a, a live televised uh, debate with Joe Biden because he knows that Joe Biden, well, one, no president would give into that. But maybe Donald Trump just because, you know, don't say I won't. But, you know, Joe Biden's not going to do that. Joe Biden couldn't even get through a single debate with Donald Trump. I mean, he was trailing off at the end. And then after that, it was, oh, COVID, we can't have another debate. I think that these character differences, I'm not going to call any of them character defects, but everybody is who they are. And these character traits, these differences between Obama to Trump, from Trump to Biden, are indicative, I think, of how they view the office of the president. They look at it as, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world for the better. And Trump is more concerned. I, I'm not really, he's not really concerned about the world as much. He was more concerned about how do I just get the government off the backs of the average working American? And I appreciated that. I think a lot of people appreciated that. And the economy sure as hell appreciated it. 
but now we're seeing the 180 and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> we're going to see when you open up the floodgates, the border, the, the ramifications of that beyond just Texas and New Mexico, Arizona, California, Florida even is feeling the effects. When you do not stand on law and order, when you make claims like Joe Biden did, which were stay in your country, don't come here. But then you essentially bulldoze the border wall. Then you're, you're sending mixed messages and people are going to hear what they want to hear. And the point I was making earlier um, that I've tried to make three times now, but I get in my own way when I'm talking uh, that person who DM'd me about the Project Veritas photos, some of the, one of the things we got into was that I completely understand the the desire to come to America. I mean, you know, somebody's got something great, everybody else is going to want it. Nobody necessarily has the power to imitate what America has done because nobody has the scale of freedom that we have here. Um, and I think that freedom is freedom in, in the capitalist system as it's supposed to work, not as it's currently working now. We're seeing a lot of crony capitalism, which is what happens when you inject government into uh, the free market. But I understand these people wanting to come here. I really do. I've thought about it many times. If I, if I was in their shoes, if I was in Mexico, I've got corrupt government, corrupt police. I've got gangs. I've got human trafficking. I've got all these things surrounding me. And I've got a small child. And all I have to do is make a dangerous trek north, get across a river, and then I've been told my problems will be solved at that point. You better damn well believe I'm going to do it. I want to break whatever laws I have to. So I understand it and I sympathize with it. And it breaks my heart to see these kids who have, have no idea. These kids should be in school somewhere. These kids should be on a playground. These kids should just be just being kids. And yet they're being many times sold. And these, these cartels, something this person told me is that a lot of these times that the, the cartels are saying they don't want the parents, they just want the kids. So the parents have to stay there. And so these parents are making the decision to send their kids away. And the, you know, this person told me that I don't understand how a parent could do that. One, I don't think they have much choice when, you know, when you're dealing with a, a violent uh, drug cartel or human traffickers. I mean, what are you going to do? But then second of all, the reason they don't want the parents isn't because, you know, the parents can't afford it. That might be the situation in some cases, but in a lot of cases as well, they don't want the parents because they've already got parents picked out, at least who they're going to tell us the parents are. If you want to get male one and female one into the United States, we'll get child one, tell child one, these are your new parents. And it's a lot easier to get asylum, especially when half the country is freaking out because kids are getting separated from their parents. So now everybody is tr trigger shy about deporting anybody. Anyways, I promised I'd get you out of here early. So I'm going to stop bitching now and I'm going to close. Uh, no, it, seriously, I think it's important to, to watch the press conference tomorrow. It's very important to take note of where he is strong, where he falters, which questions he takes happily, and which questions he frowns upon. And... I hope, and I would, I will, on the show, I will give props. I will give respect to to Joe Biden, 
if he's asked a very difficult question and he handles it with grace. I would love nothing more than to see him handle a tough question with honesty, sincerity, and not lies and not, oh, it's not a crisis, it's a situation. You know, like, shut up. Who cares? Semantics. It doesn't matter at this point. What we need to know is what the what are you going to do about it, you know? So that's where I'm at. So again, 1.15 Eastern time tomorrow, March 25th on a Thursday. So I will be making notes and I will report back on Friday. And we are chugging along here to episode 50. At episode 50 is when I'm going to feel prepared and confident to really going to start blowing this thing out of the water. Up to that point, though, I need you all to to spread the word. You see our new episode posts. I want you to share them. I want you to comment on them, like them, do whatever it is that you can to engage with them to help the search algorithms. And that way our hashtags that we're, that we're using can help us, you know, but if nobody's engaging with the post, then they're not going to succeed. So I need y'all's help spreading. I need you to, to provide uh, reviews on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on and uh, just communicate with me whether it's direct message on Instagram or Facebook, or if it's an email to info at crossandmusket.com. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know if there's a story you want me to cover. Email us links, do all that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you back here on Friday. Friday.